It's an amazing thing to watch a baby be born, isn't it? If you have the stomach for that. My stomach is, I don't know. But new life, conceived, grown, born, matured. And, you know, sometimes we talk about that as miraculous. I mean, it, it looks like it. But really, that's the way God has put things together. It's in, in accord with his creation that man and woman come together and produce offspring. And if you're not familiar with Grace Church, we, we have a lot of babies around here, something in the water. So um, we get to see that, that frequently, new babies being born. Today we see a true miracle, though, in the text. Today we see a new birth. We see a new church being born. We see life from the dead, resurrection, new birth in hearts and people, and God birthing and, and building a church in Antioch. It's new creation by what's called in the text, the reason I named the sermon, a hand of God, is that's what's referenced. That's why there was a work here, because the hand of God was with them. A new church was born. We're in the delivery room by looking into this text, watching and having this, these births and this birth of this new church described to us by God, by His Word. It's the supernatural work of God. It's the birth of a new church in Antioch. How is this church conceived? And how does it mature? Well, we get a glimpse into that in 19 to 26. What should a true church look like? Things like that. But if you remember back, set it in context a little bit. The church was thriving in Jerusalem. There's opposition in Jerusalem. Stephen is proclaiming the gospel. He is martyred. And, at the, and the clothes are laid at the feet of a young man named Saul who is agreeing to his martyrdom. Saul, then after the martyrdom of Stephen, led by Saul, this great persecution breaks out against the church. And it says that the church scattered. And Jesus had said at the very beginning of Acts that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We're beginning to see them go to the uttermost parts of the earth. But that Saul, that persecutor of the church in chapter 9, we saw him converted. We saw God arrest him and convert him. And he will be an apostle in God's church and write a great deal of the New Testament. In chapters 10 and 11, we've seen Peter going to a Gentile's house, a, a God-fearer's house. God has given him a vision and, and he's, he's given Cornelius a vision. He's brought them together. The gospel is preached. The Gentiles are converted. The report is given to the church and they were amazed that God had granted repentance even to the Gentiles. I refer you back to those sermons. But on the heels of that, in this text, it refers us back to the persecution and shows us what's happening in some other lives that were scattered because of that persecution. God's people being scattered, but not being scattered in defeat, not being scattered in depression, but being scattered in victory, taking the gospel, trusting God and taking the gospel with them and sharing that gospel with those to, in whom they came, with whom they came into contact. So this sermon today, the hand of God, we see the birth of a new church. We see the salvation of a significant number of people in Antioch. And uh, therefore a church is born, a church is matured uh, there. But today in this text we see that new churches are born by the sovereign power of God. 
through the faithful gospel proclamation of His people. Through the sovereign power of God, through the faithful gospel proclamation of His people. God births and matures people. New birth new and maturity in Christ and He births and matures churches through the preaching of His gospel. But first, look at the hand of God in persecution. God is sovereignly overseeing that persecution and using it for His glory. But in verse 19 it says, Now those who were scattered, some of those who were scattered, it says they're going north from Jerusalem, from Judea. They're heading north. It says, that, it says those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. They're going north above Syria to you know, up into the regions around Cyprus and modern day Turkey and all those regions up, up that way. But it's north. It says, it says this, that they traveled, those that were scattered traveled to those regions, especially Antioch. That'll be the focus in a minute. But there would there were some of them who spoke only to the Jews, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. So they went, trouble had put them in flight, they went in faith, and they're proclaiming the word, and some are speaking only to Jews. But in verse 20 it says, Some of them, men of Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, about a hundred miles off the coast, and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, not the Antiochian Israel, but up above that, north, coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, in this context, this word translated Hellenist, depending on your translation, you might have Greek or, or you may even have Gentiles. And that's what it's talking about in this context. Greek-speaking Gentiles. It wouldn't really be a contrast to say some spoke only to Jews, but others spoke to Jews. There's a, there's a contrast between speaking to Jews and Gentiles. And we've already seen Peter reach out to the Gentiles. And now we're seeing others uh, speaking and preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. But notice, remember this. Trouble had put them in this place. They didn't decide to move to this region, to go on vacation to this region. They've always been wanting to retire to this region. They have been run out of their city. They have been run out of their homes. They have been scattered by persecution. Could hardship be the will of God in our lives? Just a short reminder, we've covered this before, but Paul says because of God's grace and the gospel and because we know Him and His love been shed abroad in our hearts, we rejoice in our troubles, Romans 5. Why? Because we just like hurting? No, because we know God's at work in it. He's sovereign over it. We wouldn't be in this place without His sovereign hand. And He promises to make all things work together for good. So this persecution, Paul and the, and the Jews in Jerusalem, they think they're stamping out the church. And really, it's like stomping a gas fire. Try, don't try that. I start to say try that, but don't. What will happen? It just spreads. The more you try to stomp it out, the more on fire you catch. And the more you spread the fire instead of putting out. And so all these attempts at persecuting the church have only served to take that gospel and flame it and fan it out. 
From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the earth. God is sovereign. He is in control. He is working. People make real decisions, yes, and He's able to work through all of that and bring about His sovereign purposes. One is to plant a church in Antioch, and that's what He's doing. Sovereignty. God's in control. He's spreading His gospel. And just another highlight, trouble didn't stop their witness. And I've already mentioned this. I got ahead of myself a while ago. But trouble didn't start, stop their witness. I mean, enter into the trouble that must have been. Almost being a refugee, being run out of your home, you know. Totally dependent upon God. But the suffering didn't stop their witness. You know, they were in trouble. They were fleeing. They were being scattered. But they knew they were not alone. That God was with them. And the purpose for their life. The main purpose which we sung in which our theme verse is. To live, in, to live is Christ and. That was their purpose. To live is Christ. Christ is life. It's about the great commission primarily and getting the good news of his gospel out. So they're witnessing to Jews. They're witnessing to Gentiles. And God's at work. Notice what they what it says about them um, at the end of verse 21. It says they spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. Proclaiming the Lord Jesus. Their message primarily was not themselves. It was not their trouble. It wasn't even their testimony primarily. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ lived fulfill all righteousness for his people. He died to pay the sins of his people. He was raised the third day. He is reigning on the throne and he is coming again. They were preaching Jesus to the crowds. And Romans Paul will say later. As he writes Romans that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The Jew first and then the Gentile. So you got gospel power being put forward. They're preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're doing that in Antioch. Now this might encourage us. But Antioch was a large city. I won't go into a lot of details. But it was a large pagan city. Full, known for its immorality and its idolatry. A large city. A pagan city. With a lost government. Making ungodly laws and rules. And there's no hope for it. Right? Wrong. Because the gospel's coming to town. Jesus is coming to town. And the preaching of Jesus is coming to town. And God's going to save just a few people in the city. And move on. God's going to plant a base for missions. God's going to plant a church in this morally lax, idolatrous city. There's going to become a thriving, large church. Through the preaching of the gospel. So the hand of God in persecution. He's scattered his church through persecution. He's with his church. They're preaching the gospel. And they're preaching to Jew and Gentile. Which is the, what's to happen now since Christ's resurrection. And look at this. The hand of God in new birth. In verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. What does that mean? God just you seen a hand reach down out of heaven and 
No, it's a figure of speech for God's power. Think about when Nehemiah said, the good hand of the Lord was upon me. You see in the Old Testament, the hand of the Lord used as a figure for both God's power used in judgment and blessing. But it's shorthand for God's sovereign power. He rules, he reigns, he's on the throne, he does all that he pleases. None can stay his hand, none can question him. Many have learned that lesson. God's sovereign power was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. And I love that that is here in the text. So the power is God's. The gospel is God's. The people are instruments in His hand. Like when, if you're a carpenter, you take a hammer and you build a deck. It's not the hammer that built the deck. The hammer was an instrument. It's the carpenter that built the deck. It's God working with His power for His glory, with His gospel, through His people to accomplish His purposes. And what a gracious outcome in Antioch, in this pagan city where people had never heard about Jesus and all they loved were themselves and their sin and their idols. Intimidating, right? It is intimidating for me. I can't change that. I can go beg and plead and beat people over the head, whatever. You can't change hearts. God has to do that. If you're a new convert, you can stop beating your family up. Be gracious and serve. I had to learn that lesson. I beat my family up when I came to Christ. I went all John the Baptist on them. Repent! <laughs> Which is, you know, that's a good thing, John the Baptist. I just didn't do it right. But God is building His church and it says, the hand of the Lord was with them, verse 21, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. A great number, a large number, southern, a bunch, a passel. A lot of people were converted under the preaching of the gospel. And it says they believed and turned to the Lord. We talked about repentance and faith last time. And you see here God in the context of the preaching of the gospel, showing people their sin and their need of a Savior, and showing them the mercy of God available in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that they turn to Him. Believing that message, believing God's witness, believing the Gospel, they turn from unbelief and everything else to God and receive and trust in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for salvation. God worked it in them through the preaching of the gospel. People, instruments in His hand to affect a large, a great number. No, it's not just a, it's a great number who believed the gospel, turned to the Lord, rocked their world, changed their lives. They forsook their idols. They forsook their immorality to trust in and love and follow Jesus Christ. Now for them to live as Christ. And to die is gain. Let me show you another example of that in the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians. Thessalonian church in Thessalonica. But it says in this. And I encourage you to read the, the entire epistle. But 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 and 5 says this. And we talked about God's sovereign power at work. God's accomplishing his purpose. God is saving his people. Which is a vast multitude that no one can count. Like the sand on the, on the shore or the stars in the heaven. It's an innumerable multitude. Revelation. 
But he's at work through his instruments preaching the gospel to accomplish his purpose. Look at this in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 and 5. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. We know that he has chosen you. I mean, Ephesians, Paul will write that, that one of the first blessing he mentions in the heavenly places is that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, that'll drive you crazy if you try to completely figure it out. Right? But just take it by faith and a revelation of the word of God. He said, Paul is saying, we know God chose you. Why? Because when we, we saw you, we looked under your collar and you had a little E on the back of your neck. Mm -mm. Because he rocked their world. He changed their life. Look at this. Don't be afraid. By the way, don't be afraid of the doctrine of election. Just look in the word. Study the word. See what it says. Go where it leads you. Don't be a rationalist and only believe things that make sense to you. You don't do that with the Trinity. I hope. Or you'll be a heretic. Right? What says the word? Some of you know, you'll figure, you'll understand some and some you won't, but you can look at the cross and you can look at God's character and his attributes and know that you can trust him that he always does right. Nobody gets injustice. But anyway, Paul says, we know that you chose him. No, he says, we know that he chose you because here's how we know our gospel came to you, not only in word, but in power. Note the hand of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. And with full conviction, we preached the gospel in Thessalonica and people were brought to the end of themselves. They were convicted of their sin. They turned and trusted in Jesus. That's how we know. Want to know if you're elect or not or chosen or not? You trust in Christ. He, he turns none away who believe in Him. He will reject none who trust in Him. And yes, to be saved, you must come to Christ and believe in Him. It's all a work of God's grace. But we know that you came to Christ because our gospel came to you in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in conviction so that your lives was cha were changed. I'm going to skip down to verse 9. He's talking about the surrounding uh, believers gave report about the Thessalonians and what happened to them. But in verse 9 it says, For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. Now watch this. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead. Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. See, Paul, they preached in Thessalonica. They preached the same gospel that was being preached in Antioch. And the hand of God was with them to, to work in them, to bring them to conviction and faith, and to turn them from everything that was holding them captive to freedom and faith and love and joy and true life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin will make a lot of promises to you. The world will make a lot of promises to you. But it will never set you free. And it will never satisfy you. And there will always have to be something else. But Jesus sets you free. Because he starts from the inside, the heart out, changes us, new heart. Conversion, we talked about last week, repentance and faith. So that you see that sin is the junk God's word says it is. And you turn from it. 
to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what happened in Thessalonica. I encourage you to go back and read that some more. And that's what's happening in Antioch. That God's people, if you want to just kind of boil it down, God's people scattered by persecution have come into the area, but they've come into the area with Jesus. And they are preaching Jesus to the people and God is saving His people and planning a church. Church planning, in one sense, is impossible. In another sense, it's really not rocket science. They didn't go into Antioch and do a survey and see what everybody in Antioch wanted to have in a gathering and shape their gathering according to what the unbelievers, the idolaters, the pagans wanted. That's theater. They do it much better. They went in with Jesus and the gospel and trusting God's power and He rocked people's world. Not trying to be cute, but we are a seeker-sensitive church. There's only one seeker and that's God. And we want to be sensitive to Him and do church the way He says to do it. Not perfect. This is not a perfect church. If you're looking for one, don't join this one. But we, we want it to be about Jesus and we want it to be about His gospel and we want to get that more and more out into the world. But think about this. You see these believers and you saw them go into Antioch and they preached the gospel and it says a great number. God's at work in a great number, a great number turned in belief. But, but listen, it's not always that way. We're going to see in Acts and we've seen already. Sometimes you go somewhere and you share the gospel and they won't take your head off. Sometimes they just patronize you. Sometimes they ignore you. Sometimes they might talk about you. But you see the apostles, it, 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 same power, same spirit, same gospel, but God's sovereign hand. Sometimes just a few listen and most mock. Sometimes nobody listens. Sometimes they run you out of town on a rail. But sometimes, according to God's sovereignty, He is at work in a great number of people planting a new work. So we leave that to Him. We're ambassadors. Ambassadors share the message of the one they represent and really trust Him with the result. Now we do pray and do we encourage and we exhort and we sometimes plead with people to turn to Christ. But we have to trust God to do that work in the heart but it's listen you know this you've been a christian long enough that not everybody who you with whom you share the gospel repents i know i was freshly converted working in downtown columbia south carolina jehovah's witnesses all over the place on the street so i watched a video about how to witness to jehovah's witnesses and they said take ephesians 2 8 and 9 to them so i went out there and i stopped one in the middle of his thing and i shared ephesians 2 8 and 9 and it's like i'd shot a slingshot with a rocket a forehead of iron which and he looked at me and then he just went right on with his presentation and trying to scramble me up and confuse me wasn't you know wasn't that there was a fault of the word it wasn't that god couldn't work it's just in that instance it wasn't his time it was time for me to plant a seed and be faithful and trust him with the rest so it's not always a great number. It's not always people who turn and run. But you can know that you have faithfully served God if you have shared Jesus with someone who does not know Him or with a believer. We all need the gospel, right? This time many were saved and a church was born as people were born again and came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch this. Uh, quickly I won't take me long to finish this up but the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch so this is the hand of God in church planting 
the church notices, okay, the gospel has been responded to. A great number of people have come to faith in Antioch. So we need to send a teacher in there. We need to send a mature believer in there. We need to send someone in there, an evangelist in there. We need to send somebody to, to train and help and, and disciple and organize these people. You know that's the second half of the Great Commission, right? We're to go into all the world and make disciples and baptizing them culminates the, the, the evangelistic phase and then teaching them to obey all things I've commanded you. That's what Barnabas is doing. He's going in there teaching them, training them, equipping them. So it says the church. And notice, I'll talk more about this in a minute. Notice there's, there's an organized church with a leadership responding to God's work and ministering to the people. But the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And now watch this. This is visible grace. There's stuff going on. He says, when, verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God. He, how did he see the grace of God? People, lives are changed. These people who were idolaters and immoral and suddenly that all they want to talk about is Jesus. They want to love and live for Jesus. The grace of God was visible in Antioch. And it says, He was glad and He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So Barnabas goes in. He sees God's grace. And he's exhorting then teaching and growing the people. And you know, the teaching was more than this. It wasn't gather one sentence and they go home. But he wanted them to remain faithful with steadfast purpose. Translation, to have devoted hearts. The Net Bible, remain true with devoted hearts. That's what we see in Acts 2.42 when we went past that, right? All those things are things they were not dabbling in. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to Bible study, to prayer, to gathering, doing life in community, to having the Lord's Supper and worshiping together. Devoted to it. Barnabas is saying, be devoted to the Lord. Now life is about Him. Love and live for Him. Be an instrument in His hand. He will work in you. He will work through you. But he's exhorting them to remain faithful. And look at this. It gives us more information. For he was a good man. Not very many people in Scripture are called a good man. That doesn't mean he was a perfect man. A blameless man. Full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Now notice this. A great many has already been. They've already been saved. Barnabas goes in. He's teaching and training them up. And part of. Uh, you know. Saturated in that teaching and training. Is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So many more are added to the church. As a result of him being there. I'll leave this for you to ponder. But notice there's no. Outward miraculous works being reported on as these people come to faith. They're trusting in Jesus. They're receiving the Holy Spirit. And they're now loving and want to live for Jesus. That's the norm. Anyway, I'll point you back to the Pentecost sermon and the many Pentecost sermons. And that's not the meaning for today. But a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas looked around and went, hmm, can't handle this by myself. I need help. So it says this, he went up to Tarsus, Saul's hometown, to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. 
Now Saul has been sent home because they were he was he was converted. He's now witnessing for Jesus, and people want to kill him, so they sent him back to his hometown for a while. Now Barnabas goes to Tarsus to get Saul to bring him to Antioch. He's not taking him back into Jerusalem at this point, you know, or even Judea, but he's he's taking him to Antioch in Syria to help him in the ministry. So, and this is important because what we have going on is a transition now. We're transitioning back to Saul, Paul, and his ministry. And we'll see his missionary journeys and all of the things that will happen. From Peter, we're transitioning over to Saul. So Barnabas brings Saul in. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And now watch this. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So he brings Saul in and they're meeting together. They're worshiping with the church. They're teaching the church. Literally here, they gathered with the church and taught large crowds. I don't know where they did that. I don't know whether it was a public building. I don't know whether it was out in the field. But they are gathering together and worshiping together and being taught together. Because that's the literal meaning of the text. That, that they, they are gathered and taught large crowds. And as life goes on in Antioch, they would have appointed leaders and organized this church. Just like in 1423, we'll see that they were instructed to appoint elders in each church. And you see Philippians and other letters who, who, who talk about the elders and the deacons in each church. More than one pastor in each church. One man can't do it all. Sorry to shoot down your thinking. Don't ever put one man up on the pedestal and expect him to do it all. He can't do it. Things will fall aside. He will die. You will eventually not be happy because pastors and deacons. Another one. That's another sermon. We'll do that one later. But they were gathering. They were training. And Paul and Barnabas strengthened and helped organize that church. And it is here that they were first called Christians. This is probably a name put on them from outside. And this is important because it tells you that this group of people was about Jesus and talking about Jesus as the Messiah. So that the people even outside started calling them little Christ or Christians. They were about Jesus in their community, in their wherever they went. But the church's identification with Jesus as Messiah was noticed by the people. So God through persecution. Through confusing things. Life ever confuse you? Yeah it does right? Life gets really hard. And you know the scripture says. Don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. As though something weird was happening. Romans. We can rejoice in our sufferings. James. Count it all joy. See all the apostles are saying. Yes you're going to have hardship. Even Jesus said in this world. You'll just have a good time. And it'll be easy right? In this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer for I've overcome it. I'm making it work for you now. I'm going to use you in the midst of that trouble to accomplish my purpose. And in the process to show you and give you real life and joy that you've never had. Because it's rooted in me and not in you and your circumstances. 
But they've come in, they've preached the gospel, the church has been born, men have come in teaching and training and organizing that church, and this will become a missionary sending church. This will be the church that sends out Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. Wow. A church born because people were converted, born again, in mass, instructed, organized about God's work and God's mission. And it was all accomplished by the hand of God. So I want to, as we, as we, as we finish up and, and just a little bit of application, I just want to encourage you. Witnessing is intimidating, right? And we always go away discouraged. And we say, if I'd have just said this, or if I'd have just done this, or why didn't I do this, or I don't know enough, or I can't answer all their questions. Your answers to their questions are not the power of God for salvation. The gospel is. The gospel is a simple message. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He was raised the third day. He gives salvation as a free gift to those who turn and trust him. Kids can remember that. That's the power of God for salvation. Not your smartness or arguments or wisdom. Because it's the hand of God that has to work in the heart to bring about repentance and faith. So I want to encourage you. It's God who makes the difference, not you. Why is that freeing? It doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on my ability to answer 46,000 questions. They're usually smoke screens anyway. Star Wars reference, stay on target. Keep the gospel the main thing. Don't be fooled by the smoke screens. Yes, you want to be nice to people and ask their, you know, answer their questions as you can. I don't know all that, but one thing I know, Jesus. Bring it back to Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Because the gospel is the power of God. It's the hand of the Lord that converted these people. And it will be the hand of God, the Lord, or His sovereign power working in and through you to accomplish anything. You are a tool in His hand. Look at me. Now I want you to be diligent and study and do the best you can. You can't mess it up. They don't remember half, a third, of 10% of what you say anyway. That thing you go home so worried about, they don't even remember you said it. But it's the gospel that will convert the soul. You can't mess that up. Share the gospel. God take His Spirit. You might be planting seeds. You might be watering seeds. You might be reaping a soul. Have somebody reap, weeping in front of you, coming to Christ. But that won't happen all the time. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't mean you were unfaithful because if you were an ambassador and shared Christ with them, you were faithful. Many, many of God's children have shared the gospel and been beheaded or killed for it. They were faithful. Sometimes large amounts are converted. Sometimes nobody's converted. Sometimes a little bit. It's God's. You are a tool in His hand. You can't mess it up. Sharpen your knowledge and ability. But, and listen, trust Him in his, to take His gospel to work. We sharpen our knowledge and ability through practice. If we never practice, we'll never be able to speak to people. I can't do it. I'm an introvert going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I don't know the answers to all the questions. Go into all the world. I'm only seven years old going to all the world. I'm 97 years old going to all the world. Because it's His gospel. It's His power. You are a tool in His hand. Secondly, encourage you with that. Think about that. Pray about that. Pray for opportunities. Ask God to help you. Praise God when you blow it. That sounds weird, right? 
If you have tried to share the gospel with people and you stumbled all over yourself, praise God. He gave you this boldness to try. You'll be better next time. Share Jesus with them. But notice the second thing I want to highlight. And I, and I, I will remain calm, hopefully, as I do this. God's church is organized. He birthed, gathered, taught, organized a church that would disciple God's people and send out missionaries. A church with leaders. A church that gathered, even in large numbers. Churches, as you read scripture, have elders and deacons. And the elders shepherd a flock. The flock knows them and the elders know their people. That can't happen if everybody's just willy-nilly in their own house. This church, like I said, will eventually send out missionaries to the world. It is not mandated in Scripture for you to only have house churches. Some people that I used to respect have greatly disappointed me. And if people is telling, are telling you that the only proper expression of Christianity today is little small groups in houses and not what they called organized religion, that's a lie. That's a lie. Now, the church under persecution, certainly they had to meet in homes. What else are they going to do? They couldn't go meet in the skating rink or the theater. But you know why? Because they were people were trying to kill them. Our brothers and sisters in China and other places are having to do other things. Because... The government is coming against them being organized and together. Why? Because they know they're effective. There is, I, I dare you to find a command in Scripture that says you can only have churches that meet in homes. You're going to beat your head against the wall and you're never going to find it. Now, it is exampled sometimes. Because it's what had to happen in certain contexts. But as the church is no longer illegal and persecuted, you see the church beginning to meet in public places and even construct places to meet. That is not wrong. God kind of did that in the Old Testament, right? You had this big, huge, ornate temple and there's a lot of typology in Christ and church. Synagogues where people met. The Sabbath was a day of rest and holy convocation, gathering. For worship. It's not mandated in scripture. To remain in small groups and homes. It's nowhere commanded in scripture. Yes it happened. But outside of per persecution. The church met publicly. Is what you see happening in Antioch. They're not trying to be killed in Antioch. I mean for the most part. Culture knows nothing about them at this point. And they're gathering in large crowds. And being taught. And sanctified worshiping together. Nothing says you have to be a large crowd either. All of that's up to God's sovereign hand. But we dare not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. For worship. And edification. And strengthening. God's church was organized. The church in Jerusalem. Yes I know the, the apostles were were there and that's different in that sense but there were elders there and it transitioned and the church didn't disorganize when the when the the apostles died
Some people have so little grace and are so particular and self-centered that, that, that they can't get along with people and, and meet with people that don't agree with them about everything. So they divide the church. Watch out for that. Scripture tells us to fight for the unity of the Spirit. Fight for the unity of the church. To be gracious to one another. To be quick to forgive. To be able to gather and worship and serve with people that you don't agree with everything about. Because none of us are glorified yet. None of us are right about everything yet. But we're one body in one Savior who's to do life in community and grow and learn and stretch with one another. Surely there are essentials that we hold on to. You know, gospel essentials. But we don't divide over things like eschatology and, you know, a lot of things we shouldn't divide over that are not essential. And it, it, it aggravates me to no end when people start belittling Christ's church and talking bad about Christ's church and coming out with a little postmodern mindset that says, you know what I'm saying. I hate organized religion. Well, then you hate Christianity. Let's just be real about it. Will, will churches disappoint you and hurt you? Yes. That's when you know when you're committed. That's when you know when you're committed. When you get rubbed the wrong way. And if you just bleh and just not mean it. That's on you. That's not on Jesus and on his church. Now obviously I'm preaching to the choir because you're not meeting at home this morning and you're gathered and worshiping and really wishing I'd move on. But it's... <laughs> But it's important to say, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about grace. It's about learning to love and live together when we don't agree. Obviously, gospel essentials, we can talk about that. If you want to wear ties, wear ties. If you don't want, don't. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we divide over that are, that are self-centered and silly. But this was a large crowd gathered, taught, organized, growing, fruitful, effective, missionary sending. And it was God's hand that birthed God's, this church and greatly used it. But it was organized. And last to say, it's proper to say it's gospel-centered if you rightly understand that. The church is built by the gospel. It's sustained by the gospel. We never move away from the gospel. That's why people were converted at first. And when Barnabas came and taught, more people were converted because it's always pointing people to Jesus. Faithful ministry. The church is built by the gospel. It's sustained by the gospel. By God's hand. God's sovereign power. Through God's gospel. Proclaimed by God's people. If you missed it. What is the gospel? The gospel is Christ. 1 Corinthians 15. Go there. You can read it. Verses 1 to 4. He, died, he lived for us. He died for us. He was buried. He was really dead. He really died. He was raised from the grave the third day. And you are saved through trusting in him. Are you trusting in Jesus this morning? What is salvation? Is it to work real hard? To try real hard? To earn it? To be good? Uh-uh. It's faith in Christ alone. 
That's what happened. Look at 21. It says at the end of 21, a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Justification by faith alone, if you understand what I'm talking about. Receiving Christ as a free gift as your Savior. Calling out to Him. Looking to Christ. Trusting in Him alone. Not trying to clean it up first. Not thinking you're good enough. Realizing you're sinful and deserve condemnation. And turning and trusting and receiving Jesus as a free gift. Are you trusting in Christ alone for the salvation of your soul this morning? If not, turn and trust in Him today. And like them, believe and turn to Jesus. Well, the new birth, what we've witnessed here, is a new birth in individuals. Individuals together. So it's a new birth and a new church plant. A church planted. Now growing, organized, and eventually maturing, sending out leaders. And from now on, when you see a baby born, celebrate that natural birth. But don't stop there. Contemplate, think about, discuss the new birth, being born again, spiritual life, God bringing you from death in sin, dead in trespasses and sins, to life and faith in Jesus through His gospel, all by the hand, the good hand of God through the gospel of His Son. It is amazing to watch a baby be born, but it is amazing grace to watch a church be born. All by God's sovereign power and hand through the good news of grace of Jesus Christ. It is amazing to see people born again. Taken from death to life. From loving sin and rejecting Christ and God to turning to and loving God and receiving Christ and growing in Him. Trusting in Christ and in Christ alone. He is the only Savior. He is the only one who died for our sins and who's been raised from the grave. He is the only one God promises that if you trust in Him, He will save your soul. Let's turn our attention to Him in prayer. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, help us. Have mercy on us. Help us to fight for unity. Help us to to walk in faith. Help us to be able to trust you in the hard times as well as the easy times. Help us to know that the answer is you, your word, your son. To live as Christ and to die as gain. So this morning I pray, bring people to faith in Jesus. And nurture those who are trusting in Jesus. Grow us in grace. Give us eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To trust and rest in Him. To enjoy momentarily communion with You, Lord Jesus. To be strengthened by Your grace and to remember that You gave Yourself for us. Lord, have mercy on us. We give You praise and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.